Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we discuss two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, but other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Joe Hilliard. However, my normal co-host, my partner in crime, the Mr. Academic himself that knows all of the words that sometimes I forget, David Gurney is not here, but don't fret because I've got two amazing guests. One of them you know. Let's say hello to Dr. Anthony Zocolio. How you doing? Thanks for having me back. I'm always happy when you're here. Uh, David, love you, miss you. Sorry you couldn't be here. Yes, we watched a couple of great movies. And then it's also a time for a, a guest that you don't know yet, but I hope that he'll be back again and again. This is a friend of mine here in Corpus Christi, Aaron Carranza. Uh, first off, how come I didn't get the doctor in front of my name? <laughs> do you have it? Yeah, I'm a doctor. Of course you do. All right, take two. <laughs> so Dr. Aaron Carranza, a doctor of pharmacology. Pharmacy. 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 Yeah. He's also a local comedian, and he you'll weave in um, pharmacy stuff into oh, yeah. your act. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about some of the comedy stuff and other things, catch up, uh, speculate what Dave's up to in after hours. But we do have some beer to get in our glasses. Are you guys ready? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this is our third week in a row from uh, Back Pew Brewing. We have had them, though, as rogue beers the last two weeks. So this is the first time they're actually going to like accompany one of the movies. There's absolutely no connection <laughs> to the movie whatsoever. I bought it for the can art. King of the Hellas. And it's a King of the Hill parody can art. I'm imagining that this is some of their brewmasters or brewers in cartoon form on the can. It is a Hellas, but they call it a Texas Hellas. They say this light beer... Uses all Texas-grown malted barley from Tex Malt in Fort Worth. A blend of Pilsner and Munich malts make this beer lighter and brighter on the front of the palate and gives it a rounded sweetness on the back. We finish the beer hot side with Hollertau Blanc and Mandarin, Mandarina Bavaria hops to give it a citrusy flavor. It is a 4.5 Texas-style Hellas. I know you like your beers on the lighter side. I do. So I brought this one just for you. <laughs> Wait till the next half. Oh, no. <laughs> Where's Porter, Texas? It is northeast Houston. We northeast made this Houston. mistake last week. It's about five, seven miles north of Humble. Okay. So uh, this is our third week in a row to have these guys, and we've loved the first two, so I'm, I'm only imagining that this third one's going to be awesome. This is the one that um, used to be a church, right? Correct. Church. That Kaylee talked about yeah. two weeks ago, yeah. But the film this week, I'm going to do a lot of talking because I didn't want to put the burden on you to uh, synopsize the movie. So let me get all my talking done, and then I'm going to open it up, because this is what I know we can sink our teeth into. We all three have to have some history with the Mission Impossible franchise. It's the big release this weekend. It's going to suck up all of the money. Dead Reckoning Part 1. Tom Cruise returns as Ethan Hunt, whose IMF team matches wits with a powerful rogue AI known as the Entity, which is kind of experimental. We're seeing it, help me out, with that opening scene, because it's the Mission Impossible, there's an opening scene with the submarine. They're testing out the yep. AI for use in that submarine. Correct. But then the AI itself, well, who, who twisted it there, where the submarine shoots its torpedo at a ghost phantom ship, and then it comes back and kills everybody on board? If I'm mistaken, I think it towards the end of the movie, they mentioned that they planted, like the U.S. government planted on the Russian sub to see oh. how it would do. Yeah. yeah is that right? Is that, right? Yeah, that, right? that sounds right. Yeah. Left behind at the bottom of the Bering Sea, then, is this thing inside of a door. <clears throat> and the door has a special key. And the key is two pieces. And those pieces are traveling all over the world. So Ethan and his team, Ving Rames is back. Simon Pegg is back. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson is back as Isla Faust. Uh, Vanessa Kirby is back as uh, Alana Mitsu 
Mitsopolis, a.k.a. the White Widow. She's so hot. <laughs> I think so. Henry Zerny is back for the first time since the, the original film yeah. as uh, Kittridge. Kittridge. Kittridge, yeah. Last seen in that De Palma-directed original. Carrie Elwes and Isai Morales enjoying the cast this go-round, with Morales playing the main villain, Gabriel, who's the follower, disciple of the entity, and also after this key. And so, you know, the MacGuffin of the film is that key. They got to go get this key, find this key, sleight of hand, uh, a thief comes into the mix, and then set things up for glorious action pieces. Hijinks ensue. Hijinks yeah. ensue. What y'all? This is a, a film absent, I think, largely of a lot of critical review, like a Academy Awards y stuff outside of special effects. So, what'd you think? Well, I, I watched the first one because I forgot what it was like and then I remembered it sucked. <laughs> it, it really felt like the first one really felt like they were inspired by the 70s Bond movies and they yeah. tried to do it in 1996. It wasn't until the second one where I really think was was a James Wu or John Wu. Yeah, John Wu did the second, second one. one, and that to me, as, as I think, that was he was John Wu kicked off the franchise to what it is now. Yeah, right. Because you know he was, I believe, right. He was a Hong Kong director, uh-huh. and of course, at the time, I know Hong Kong was real big into action. Movies. Yeah, I mean, he made that flip stateside. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, with Face Off, with Face Fei Off, Hall. Yeah. yeah, Face Off is great. Gun Fu. Yeah, and I think he did uh, Wind Talkers. Yes, yeah. yeah, which I don't think got a lot of. Attention. But it was great though. Did you like it? Yeah. I disagree. I, I like the first Mission Impossible, but I think it's also a reflection of when I saw it in the theater. Because I mean, we're similarly aged, Anthony, and that thing came out right. That it was ninety six. Yeah, so it was, was mid twenties. We I remember the television show, so I thought that it was a, you know, it, going back and watching it. I did did rewatch most of the first one, and I am glad because there was some nice little callback in this that mm-hmm. I, I yeah. kind of enjoyed. Mm-hmm. It really felt like when I was watching it. Again, it was a TV adaption. It was the idea was we were going to adapt a TV show, a TV property into a film. And with like no thought that this was going to be a franchise and over and over and over again. So for what the first one is, I also like it because I feel nostalgic towards it. Yeah, you saw the show. But I definitely agree that the second one takes on a different tone. Tone. Yeah. And that tone is what sort of links all the films. Mm-hmm. And know, the after. third one was the first time I think you had the reoccurring characters. Yeah. The first one was, I guess, character development, certainly character setup for mm-hmm. what would become a sequel. But it focused more on the twisty turny of who was betraying whom. Yeah. And there were some action pieces on that, on yeah. the train and the helicopter attached to the train and yeah, going that, up the tunnel. And, uh-huh. But you're right. Um, the, John Woo put his stamp yeah, on that. Yeah, I think that. so. Because I, I remember watching it with my wife. I'm like, this just looks like you're trying to be an American James Bond. And then somewhere along the way, Tom Cruise got into this whole thing of, I'm going to do these spectacular stunts myself and become now two summers in a row at 60 whatever he is. God, like, he's still good looking too. Box office yeah. guy with Top, Top Gun last year, of course. He got everybody back to the theater four quadrant movie if there ever was one i think this is too this movie's gonna make so much money i was actually a little surprised i thought i thought for sure it would have it would have crossed 100 million for the weekend but it only did like 80 and change which okay. that was that was a little surprising given and i think i think the no reason was because it's three hours long yeah no competition like yeah. that's why i thought like but i was very entertained for the three hours so was i yeah. i didn't yeah. feel it dragged at one time uh, I honestly, this could be one of those movies that's going to be great in the theater, but if you watch it at home, it's not going to be the same. So I liked the, I, okay, I buy into the whole foe of it. The foe being the internet, essentially. AI, remember the movie AI, which we talked about on the show not too long ago, 
in 2001, when that movie came out, the majority of Americans did not even have the internet yet. So AI was everything we'd been raised on, like the Terminator and, you know, robots mm-hmm. and yeah. stuff like that. But now, as prescient as this <laughs> topic is, this idea oh, yeah. of like, Whoever controls the information controls the narrative. Correct. And where you get your information is oftentimes where your narrative is controlled and tends to be the backbone of what you believe. I think they're textbooks. And it might be true and it might not be true. So I think this is the first of many films on this topic. I, they, I guess they got there. I'm not, nothing left to mind that was, that had covered AI as villainous outside of, you know, Terminator, that kind of thing. But Eagle I'm talking eye? about the modern. Is it Eagle Eye with Shadow Buff? I didn't see it. Yeah, that, I mean, that was, yeah, it, but that wasn't AI as much as it was like a, a program that just had infinite computing power. Okay, okay, so okay. It, it was able to access data from all over the yeah. place and then make decisions on that. It wasn't this evolving learning entity. I get, I, when I was watching this, I just imagined Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie and everybody sitting around seven, eight months ago when everybody started talking about chat GPT and AI and it became this thing that everybody was talking about. And I could just see them going, nailed it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It was perfect timing. It was, I, that yeah. was eerie. Like I was like, shit, like this is exactly yeah. what people sort of think about when they think about what AI could become and then what AI could become in the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of nailed the, you know, what that was going to be. Um, and I, that was from an academic perspective, you know, I worry about students using AI to write their papers. I, wish I, had, <laughs> I know. I wish I had it when I was in college. Man. I mean, oh. I, I realize we have a, a few more fears, uh, with AI. Well, I've got a friend who's in, uh, my age, but she's always taking a class. And she, I, we asked her about this, and she said that there some some schools, maybe some schools don't, but some schools actually have have already created or purchased ways to run digital files through them to see if AI created the thing. I, I know it's also a big fear in journalism, and and of course, like, like with writing, that's why the, the actors and the writers are on strike. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You could tell AI to write me write, write me a, a generic sitcom. And it'll do it. Write me a, a song uh, about, you know, and then fill in the blanks. Yeah. I, I remember asking it when I was first coming out. I was like, write a song about, and I don't even remember what, in like the style of Bob Dylan. Okay. And I'm like, oh, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'd like to send this to Bob Dylan. Um, the thing about that is it is evolving so fast that by the time the detectors are good enough to detect – the AI is better. Right. I mean, from, as an academic, I'm figuring out ways to use AI as opposed to being like, no, you can't use it. And hoping that, you know, students kind of learn the tool of it and for what it could be good for. And so they won't use it to write their paper. But like I said, you know, these are concerns we have on the academic level that pale in comparison to what people are talking about in terms of what AI could become. And then this takes it even one step further with, you know, this idea that it can access or actually, right, it has access. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's, like it, that's what was doing um, while, okay, so in the airport scene, right, which I thought was a great scene, the mm-hmm. idea that he's got to 
uh, find the buyer of the key, but it gets lifted by this thief, by actress Haley Atwell, which we haven't mentioned yet, Grace. Grace. Uh, she she's lifts it because she's been hired to lift this key, but the key's got magnets or something. Radiation. Yeah, radiation, so they can track the key. That's where they get in cahoots with one another and then are allies, kind of, for the rest of the movie. But the face-changing technology, that's where we start to see that the computer is, or the, the, the entity, is controlling all to the detriment of Ethan Hunt and his team. The leading Gabriel's video footprint like in real time right. so yeah. he couldn't be tracked right. yeah. that was very very neat. and and i mean you know mission impossible is always great toys sure um and yeah. this this certainly didn't disappoint with the uh with the toys that were available i think it also showed like for me a little personal fear of how they could just scan your face and find you wherever you're at oh yeah like, that's Big Brother. They do do that. Ugh. Yeah. That's, that's happening right now. No, I thought H- Haley Atwell, who I looked her up because I didn't recognize her. She was in the first ca- Civil War, the, no, 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 the first Captain America yeah. movie. Yeah, she's Agent Carter. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then in that series. Yeah. And I guess she just hadn't found a good vehicle for her. But I thought she was incredible in this movie. Their chemistry was really, really good. You could see that they might... I don't know, hit it off in a romantic way. I'm expecting the movie to go that way. It's like, how does he not sleep with her? (laughs) Like, that's that's the spy's job at the end of the movie. (laughs) Hey, if you're following the James Bond, he always gets some. The thing I really liked about the the Grace character was it it would have been very easy and very cliche after the airport piece where they meet to have them then align, right? You know, like, okay, we are on the same team. We want the same things. And for a good 40, actually probably multiple a, set pieces. Yeah, probably for over an hour. Yeah, yeah. She is still trying to figure out how to and actively subverting Ethan Hunt, Ethan Hunt and like trying to escape. Yeah, I didn't yeah. Think and she I was subverting him outside of just uh, putting him in a position where he couldn't pursue her any true. longer. Yeah. yeah, handcuffing him to a steering wheel. Right. But I, I, I like that continuation of the cat and mouse game as opposed to the very cliche. Yeah, you had to work hard but to she, get a trust. But she played to win because, I mean, she left him handcuffed to that little Fiat. I'll talk about that Fiat in a second, but that little car on railroad tracks and he could not escape. I mean, she left him to die, we think, right? Well, although, do we know, I mean, at that point she didn't know a train was coming, so... Uh, also, see, you know he's not going to die. It's a movie. That's a good point. She knew she was in a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, she did know she was in a movie. That, that yellow Fiat, right? That's another action piece where he, I need a safe car. And they give a little tiny yellow, yellow Fiat. And every single cop in Rome or wherever they are. Where were they? Venice or Rome? No, it was Rome. Rome. I, believe, I thought it was uh, Venice. They were in Venice oh, at uh, one point. Okay, but that, that set piece was, oh, that's was right, in Rome. Because she snuck on the Rome flight. That's right. Uh, but the Fiat turns out to be James Bond toys and my toys uh, super souped. And I thought that was so much fun. And the idea that they're handcuffed together and he's driving, but her hand. And their arms have to be crossed because they yeah, can't interact with each other. And yeah. then she's got to drive because of a thing. And then now the car is so souped up that she's driving it so erratically. I, I don't know. I, I, that was a really it's like fun when she stole the well. first police car. She's a thief, not a car driver. Right. She's crashing into everything. Other cars. This, this movie had a huge motorcycle budget. They, they just <laughs> ran over uh, hundreds of motorcycles yeah. uh, throughout Italy. Yeah. Now it was that, and that was. I mean, I'm biased, of course, but like the scenery and you know that set piece in Rome yeah. was pretty extraordinary. Oh um, yeah, I was like, I've been there, I've been there, yeah. I've been um, there. The mother country. Yeah. Mm. You know, it is what it is. But I mean, it's. It's kind of like, you know, you're, you're evading the police and, you know, in your rearview mirror is the Coliseum. Um, right. And, uh, 
you know, that's kind of neat. Although I, I just actually read like two days before I went to see this movie, uh, uh, something on CNN about tourists behaving badly in Italy. American tourists especially. Yeah, American yeah. tourists especially. And one of the things that they mentioned were driving cars or attempting to drive cars or bicycles or motorcycles down the Spanish steps. Okay. Now, are those just, did you see Fast X? I didn't. Okay. Are those the same steps? I get my Roman uh, Spanish steps confused a lot. And there was a big action scene with a bomb that was round that uh, rolls down steps. It uh, looked very similar to that. Was, was it in Rome? I don't remember. Oh. I mean, if it was in Rome, the Spanish steps are pretty much where you're going to set that. Right. That would actually make sense if, like, another big action movie with another big action piece had hijinks at the Spanish steps. Like, that would make sense why drunk Americans are like, hey, you know, let's right. ride our scooters. Right, right, right. Let's fast X down these steps. Uh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, so Gabriel, the villain, he's got a couple of henchmen. One of them is Palm Clementif, as Paris is her name. She's a French assassin, assassin who works for Gabriel. Uh, she wore cool makeup. Was I'm, she in the I'm, Suicide Squad? I don't know, but I loved her, too. Or am I just she was, but I'll, she's I'll look her up. Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Well, actually, Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic. Okay. Oh, that's the same girl? Yeah, that's, that's, that's who she is. Man, she I'm was racist. in. Yeah, I guess um, you're right. Yeah, because I couldn't figure it out, and I was like, "Who is she?" And I had a. She was the one I had to look up. But I didn't see Guardians three, but I mean, well, she's she, in the first one. You one. saw Endgame. I mean, yes, you know, yeah, no, those no, big no, guns. I know who you're talking. About. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, definitely. I just didn't recognize her without the mm. antennae. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, uh, but she, she was great in this. Yep. And yeah. uh, that scene where they get. Uh, Tom Cruise locked in an alleyway between those two Oh, that was such a great fight scene, wasn't it? It was fantastic. Very claustrophobic as it was meant to be. I mean, there was so much, um, I think, good in this one. I mean, especially as much as I enjoyed Dial of Destiny as an action film, I mean... This gener- this delivers yeah. so so much more. Isai Morales, I loved him too. Oh, I he, I I was thrilled to see him pop up, and yeah. I was so happy with the with the job that he did. Going back to that scene you were just talking about, that might have been my favorite scene in the movie, if not only because it was just very very simple. It was hand to hand combat, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. mean, the only weapon was a metal rod it's that a, it, occasionally found its way into somebody's hand, but usually got knocked out. Uh, between two fences, and he ultimately spares her, which then comes back towards the end of the film as sort of a vital part of the big set piece at the end, which we haven't right. talked about yet. Yeah. Right. And there's also, too, this alleyway they're fighting in, like, my fat ass couldn't fit it. <laughs> like, it's small. Like, Tom just, Cruise was a, sni- was a, was a tight fit. And just Tom kill Cruise. me. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm like, I, you just win. You win. Yeah, you win. If I yield, will you not kill me? Uh, no, but that train scene at the end, I think it's where you're going. Yep. I mean, it just goes on and on. We could talk about every detail. But it, it ends with, and stop me if you wanted to talk about something ahead of that, but it ends with Gabriel getting off of the train and then down the railway a little bit is going to be a, a bridge that explodes. The bridge does explode right before Tom Cruise, uh, because when Gabriel gets there, the first thing he does on the train is to disassemble any ability to slow it down and he speeds it up. We're on a runaway train. I know. Go fix it. I don't know how. You'll figure it out. Anyway, they remove the engine from the rest of the train, so it goes plummeting off this now broken bridge. And (laughs) then uh, every car, it stops right there, but then the one car falls off and drags the next one, and then the next car. So for five, six, seven railway cars, it just doesn't stop. 
and it is genuinely tense. Mm-hmm. And I know no one's gonna die. Maybe she'll die because if maybe two of his loves in this movie die, but. I loved that part. The piano, all of it. It was so good. It was like each car was its own set piece. Yes. Yeah. The dining car versus the mm-hmm. kitchen, kitchen car. You know, that's going to be like hot grease exploding. Yeah. Out of, hot, you know, like, that's uh, hot boiling fire. water on the floor. Every danger imaginable. I do have a point, though. I was watching. I was like, this is a coal fire train. Who has those anymore? Right. Uh, first of all, they killed the conductor. It was conductor the Orient Express. It was a throwback. Okay. They killed the conductor and the engineer. Right? Who's putting coal in the car? So who's putting the coal in the car? Like, it's not going to keep running. When it's super speeded up. Yeah. You know that coal's getting burned quick. Yeah. Plot hole. <laughs> this movie Sorry, sucked. I'm, I'm one of those nerds. I'm like, oh, I watch like a sci-fi movie. I'm like, where do they poop? Oh, I, <laughs> I, I, oh no. I, I, I sit there and figure out like... Wait a minute. There'd be no no way they would have the Coliseum in their rearview mirror. They're heading toward. Right, like, stop I, it. And I'm, yeah. and I'm like, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. And forget it if I ever see a movie set in New yeah. York and New Jersey. It's like, no, wrong. Yeah. It yeah. just yeah. takes the, me The right geography out. of Vertigo is a little off <laughs> when you're looking through the rear, the back window. I mean, I, I thought that the, the set piece in total at the end dragged just a little. Um, you know, Which from, one? from the, the, the entirety of it, the, the planning on the, the, the getting, trying to get on the train, the process of getting Drugging on the train, the white widow yeah. and then putting the mask on. And- yeah. I thought that dragged just a little bit in places, not a huge, mm-hmm. um, criticism of it. If I had anything to say, it would have been like maybe tighten that up a little. Okay. Um, but I think but- they were going to go for like, they were trying to be funny in it too. Mm-hmm. Right, because she'd wake up and she'd be like, and then fall back down. Yeah, and I mean that is one thing about Mission Impossible is that they do try to bring in some humor. <laughs> they try yeah, they several try. times in this movie. Um, yeah, yeah, and so I know in the franchise it's it's a thing. And so you know, and there were a couple times I chuckled, and yeah. I'm a huge Simon Pegg guy, so yeah. it's like, oh yeah, Simon Pegg says something. I'm gonna Speaking laugh. of Simon Pegg, he looks terrible. Tom Cruise looks so great. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, uh, I guess they're all getting a little older. Not Tom Cruise. Uh, there's a little. You can see a little bit of Scotch tape. Uh, so, <laughs> I need duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck in this yeah. alley. Why'd you give me duct tape? <laughs> yeah, but it, it really is the sort of perfect popcorn movie for. The it summer. really is. Yeah, it's the yeah. best one of the summer so yeah. far. I mean, in that category, uh, you know, it's Fast X and Indiana Jones, and I'm trying to remember, but those aren't the movies mm-hmm. that I typically run out and see. Like, I haven't seen Guardians three. What else came out recently that was those big ones? Because I, I don't go to those unless we do them for the show. Right. But now, is if we don't do Dead Reckoning Part 2 for the show, would we all go see it to see what happens? I would. I would. Yeah. Is it? Do you guys know if it's a, is it a Part 2 and 3? or is no, it just a part it's two? just 2 and it's coming out next year. Yeah. Oh, that's quick because yeah. usually every about five years. Well, they, fi- they filmed them kind of in tandem, Lord of the Rings style. Okay. And they did it. I mean, like, started pre-pandemic yeah. and then got locked down for the pandemic. And then I think Principal was done in 2021. But the trailers for this have been on forever. That motorcycle jump, you know. Okay, they, so they wrote this. Yeah. There's we some didn't in- even talk about the motorcycle jump well, and the parachuting. That, yeah, we kind of leave a little something, right? Yeah. I mean, we didn't talk about the little twist about who's actually, yeah. you know, the forces that are sort of leading these people to try to Get the key, yeah. uh, American government. Um, you know, there's that little, little, you know, spin there. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say something else, but you uh, got to stop drinking. Yeah. Four and a half percent. Yeah. It tastes like water. Well, yeah. It sounds like we all pretty much liked it. Pretty much I enjoyed it. it. Like I, and like I said before, and I'll say it again. I think it's a great theater movie. Yeah. I just don't think it'll be that good in the, in at home. 
Oh, interesting. I saw Fallout. Okay, so to prepare, I did rewatch the original, and I re I watched Fallout for the first time. I skipped it. I don't know, whatever. Fallout was good. Fallout was great. Wow. Many people consider it the best of the franchise, and I wonder what many people are going to say about this one. But uh, you know, I, I I think this is going to be very very popular. I had to see it at nine o'clock in the morning yesterday, and really? at nine o'clock in the morning showing was in the XD theater mm-hmm. okay. at our Cinemark, and. That was interesting. I had never seen a movie. I, I almost, I almost uh, sprung for the D box. Uh, oh, I haven't seats. done that yet. I have not either. Which is it? It was like eight dollars more. Oh, and that's yeah, eight, eight top rates the, and stuff. Yeah, I was watching it. It was you can barely see it if you weren't in the seat, but uh-huh. you could kind of see it moving. But the the XD, I didn't see the difference necessarily visually, but sound. Yeah, that theater yeah. that is immersive. Let me make sure I understand what you're saying. The D box is in the XD theater, yes. and that's an elective, elective add-on. Yes. So other people were D boxing, and you were not D boxing. Correct. And there are D box seats in non XD. Yeah. You know, so the, in uh, several theaters within Cinemark, they installed a half a dozen to you know ten D box seats right in the middle. Yeah, the sweet spot. Um, but lower, like not okay, not middle back, middle forward, uh, but above the. Rail thing. Yeah, the rail. Yeah. So, yeah, then that is an elective thing. They weren't all filled. I, I, you know what? I should have probably just snuck Yeah, them. man, it's not I, a clock yeah, the now I, feel, now I feel horrible. Like, I should have actually. Like, I saw one at the draft house. I saw the draft house today at noon. I was the only person I in the I went there at 9 o'clock last night. Uh-huh. And there was only, like, six people in there. That's amazing. See, I saw it's a weekend. Sunday night, nine o'clock, and it's gonna end at noon, yeah, midnight. People, so where are the kids? This was a, I saw it nine o'clock True. in the morning with a half full theater. Mm. Wow, yeah, was it mostly kids? No kids. Oh wow, yeah, you you just didn't D box. I just didn't D box. Right. Well, we did go back to Back Pew Brewing, and that is this new king of the Hellas. Back Pew Brewing clearly is ramping up their distribution because it's. Where'd you find it? Here, I got this in Houston. Okay, uh, on one of my. Uh, Trips to do something fun and then going to the beer store and spending a lot of money. So there's one really good brewery in Houston. You can only find it in large bottles. It's Buffalo Bayou. Oh, yeah. God, the best time here. It's, so good. it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've done them on the show a couple of times. But uh, So what y'all think of this Hellas? Hellas is not a style that I go to I like Hellas. often. but It's very good. Very soft. Small bubbles. Goes down easy like a good blonde. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on the website, <laughs> it says um, that it's, it's you know just like Hank Hill, you would... Drink it after mowing the yard because I mean the Hellas, the German style of course, and uh, adding some Texas components to make it a Texas Hellas. But it's not known much for like accompanying food. It's just easy drinking on a hot, easy, hot yeah. on a hot hot yeah, day. Uh, if you like that, uh, the Andigator made by uh, Abita, yeah, out of New Orleans, yeah, make a great Hellas. It's called Andigator. Yeah, I would definitely buy this again. Yeah, this mm-hmm. this is a shelfie. This is a. I think this, so. Yeah, you uh, could drink it all night. Yeah, this is yeah exactly. And this we is, should. This would be a six pack you bring to a party or a comedy festival. Uh, <laughs> you know, or no, twelve pack. In, you know, or enjoy. Uh, you know, enjoy after mowing the lawn. This is right up my alley. I like, yeah. I like them light. I like them, you know, flavorful. This was this was good. Where do you wait till you see where I'm going to take oh, you next? God All damn. Right. Well, let's do it next. Delay. I'm sure it's going to be delicious. It'll be fine. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to we paired this film with another film, and we're gonna. I, I'm just gonna spoiler alert. There will also be a rogue beer when we get back. And we're back. 
Uh, I've got a beer. I've only got one 16 ounce because it cost uh, twelve nine twelve dollars for oh, this one. Please I got be it. like thirteen percent, please. Also got it in Houston. No, this is uh, six point five. It's Evil Twin Brewing. It's our Ooh. seventh time to go back to New York City, but it's a collaboration with a bagel company. Oh man, <laughs> that's gonna be good. What is it called? Blueberry French Toast. Oh shit. It is the yeah the blueberry French toast bagel. Man, that sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. Like I want to. Can I stick my pee pee in it? <laughs> uh, just your glass. You can do whatever you want to. Uh, stay away from my glass. They say it's don't our, worry, it's not big enough. It's a it's a it's a sour ale. By the way, it's our second collaboration with the best bagel shop in the world. This time we brewed with blueberry, vanilla, cinnamon, maple, and Utopia's freshly baked French toast bagels. Oh my goodness. Four ounces each. That's why we're having a rogue beer because that just seems oh. like a short shrift. Is this not? You don't like oh, this kind of beer? No, I, this is amazing. Yeah, I was like, this is. Just... Yeah, when you stick your nose in a Hellas, it's difficult sometimes to come up with snobby words for it. You know, it's going to be light and crisp, but this one we might be able to because of all those adjuncts. Very blueberry. Mm, that oh, smells yeah. like the birth of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's go from let's go from there and see what happens. Holy shit, that's good, man! Can you, you should have bought more of these. I should have. I should have. Everybody drink more. I'm gonna drink them all here. Pour okay. some more in there. All right, let's do the usual suspects. Now, why did we do the usual suspects? Because the director of the last four now Mission Impossible movies wrote the usual suspects, uh, Christopher McQuarrie. Uh, the plot follows the interrogation. I don't even do I even need to synopsize the usual suspects. I'm going to try. The yeah, plot follows the interrogation of Roger Verbal Kent, played by Kevin Spacey, a small time con man who is one of only two survivors of a massacre and fire on a ship docked at the port of Los Angeles. Through flashback and narration, Kent tells an interrogator, played by Charles Palminteri, a convoluted story of events that led him and his criminal companions. And these are the usual suspects. Rounded out by Gabriel Byrne, Kevin Pollack, Benicio Del Toro, and Stephen Baldwin. How they got to the boat and of a mysterious crime lord known as Kaiser Sose who controlled them. Pete Postlewaite, fantastically in my opinion, plays Sose's lawyer, Kobayashi. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into the twist and all of that in a second. But um, I did want to just read one more thing here. Director Brian Singer. Oh. Who, of course, has been famously alleged for violating underage actors on some of his sets. According to a variety story that I found, it just came out a couple weeks ago, Singer is working on a self-financed documentary about himself and, quote-unquote, his struggles. Says one source who was approached about the project and calls the pitch, quote, impressive. According to the pitch, Singer plans to address the allegations of sexual misdeeds and cover his attempt at career resurrection. So... Got to say what's out there, right? I mean, this is still a piece of art that we're going to judge by 1995 standards, I guess 2023 standards. And I hadn't even talked about one of the leads of the film, Kevin Spacey, who I know we've talked about it here on the show before. And and that was part of the the conversation in choosing this film was sort of the, I didn't, and I didn't even know that about Brian Singer, but the sort of problematic... Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Uh, I think you said, is there a Spacey-less version of this? Right. Um, yeah, there can't be. Um, but there are, there are reasons I advocated for this film, despite the fact that it is troublesome, you know, in its past. Um, doesn't mean I, it's not a good movie. No, that, that absolutely doesn't mean it. And I, that is something that I would like to put on the uh, After Hours tablet is okay. like our sort of journey, like like our cinematic journey, like what brought us to like where we are today in terms of our cinematic case. And cause this 
owns a very, very important. Oh, you're piece. saying this is a stepping stone. This is this is. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about it? Because um, I like this idea. Well, I mean, you know, again, we are roughly the same age. So this is 1995, uh-huh. right? So we're talking, you know, we're 25 years old, 23 years old. You was you were four. No, no, that no, was. 1995? I thought it came yeah. on 94. No. Uh, 95 is what IMDb and all this. Oh, okay. Guys. So I was and nine. Okay. Yeah. I am, you know, the Star Wars Indiana Jones generation. Yeah. So, like, I – and Jaws. And so, summer blockbusters, big budget. That was all I knew. And it was really the early 90s where I started to kind of notice that there were these films coming out by these directors uh, that were telling stories in different ways. So, yeah. Linklater – you know, Gazing Confused in 93, Reservoir Dogs, 92, Barton yeah, um, Fink, you know, that was the first Coen Brothers film that I had seen. And 95 was this really wild year for film. Mm-hmm. Um, Leaving Las Vegas, Before Sunrise, Welcome to the Dollhouse, Basketball Diaries, Empire Records, uh, The Last Supper, which I always throw in there because most people haven't seen it, but I highly recommend it. And seven, seven yeah, which, is yeah. amazing. And this, yeah, this this was the year that I finally said movies are more than just these visual spectacles with shit exploding, right? Um, they roller, have roller coaster ride. Yeah, they yeah. have depth. They have meaning. You know, this is where I started to appreciate things like color and sound and cinematography, the story, and the usual suspects is all of that with. A great story and a legendary twist that mm-hmm. is part of popular culture. Um, my wife saw this for the first time. Oh, watching it with you? Yeah. Oh, okay. And at the end, with the twist, she's like, I have heard about Kaiser Sose and the twist for like ever, and I never understood it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it, like literally anybody, you know, will use that idea of, you just say Kaiser Soze yeah. or talk about it. And it's like, everybody sort of knows what you're referring to. Uh, I pulled up popular movies or notable movies mm-hmm. from 1995. You you didn't say Casino. Oh, yeah. Before Sunrise. Oh, I actually have Before okay. Sunrise okay. on. I mean, I that one was a big one yep. for me. And then Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. But I, that's, that's just really a joke. <laughs> I, I do. I mean, obviously, you guys, this is your prime time. Yep. But for me... Personally, seven is better than the usual suspects. Oh, you're putting it greater than. I do. I'm with you. And I, it was my suspicion, and this is my hindsight, right? Because you guys are older than me, is that the people picked uh, the usual suspects because Reservoirs did, Reservoir Dogs didn't win Best Picture. I think Reservoir Dogs really set that way for twists. Well, Reservoir Dogs oh. wouldn't have been nominated for oh. Best Picture. Oh, wouldn't have? No, no, not no. He didn't start to get nominations. Oh, Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction certainly was. And I, I actually skipped right over 94, so I skipped over Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And Clerks, right? Oh, Which God, and yeah. being from New Jersey, oh, there was almost dude. nothing bigger in independent cinema than Kevin Smith. Uh, no, I mean, like, I, I, I for what thirty thousand dollars? It was above the. It was above the fold. I was like, yeah, yeah I. So this is this is epic. This I, is an I like epic this. Film for me. We'll have this conversation after hours. Uh, Patreon.com slash Beard of Movie Podcast. Uh, because yes, you know, because <laughs> yeah, like, I, I even started it. a little earlier than you. Goodfellas in the theaters, and then another film that I am going to mention, but it got some shit got shit on last week. But for some reason, really, really made me think, oh my god, film can be more than, as you're saying. I mean, it's a double twist because, well, first of all, I, I like to do a little YouTube analysis, and there's a whole theory out there that Kent is not 
Kaiser Soze, that Kent is an underling of Kaiser Soze, that the burned man that delivered the information for the police sketch never really saw Kaiser Soze, but he would maybe have seen Kent. I buy in that Kent is Soze because it not wraps it up with a nice clean bow. But the but when Chaz Palminteri is trying to get out of him a confession that Keaton, Gabriel Byrne, is Kaiser Soze, the audience is given this idea that we are having the revelation that Kent is having, and now the movie is sewn up. And then Chaz Palminteri sits down on that desk with his cup of coffee yeah. and is just hmm, daydreaming, looking at the wall. And that montage sequence... Uh-huh where it's beginning to be pieced together for us, and we're seeing now flashbacks of the conversation that we just saw, and we're seeing... It, it is so... It's still... I, I've seen it ten times. I watched it again today in, yeah. pre, in prep. It, it still works. And, and when his limp goes from limp to non-limp, and his hand... He fixes yeah. his hand and grabs a cigarette. It is always and so that, good. And that's the last five minutes of the movie, yeah. and it just fucking twists yeah. it all. It was insane. It, it, it is satisfying every time I watch it. Yeah. I love it when the bad guy gets yeah. away, though, too. Like no, I, and, it, you know, again, at its core, right, it is this caper movie, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's yeah. not a whole lot yeah. to it. Um, yeah. You know, it's a group of five, as you mentioned, by the way. It should also probably be mentioned. Is Stephen Baldwin ever the first build in any other movie he's done? <laughs> is Stephen Baldwin bad in this movie? No, he's great. He's fantastic. I, uh, it's yeah. the only movie he's good in. <laughs> That's, I'm not going to argue with that. Until I see Tremors 26 <laughs> when he's in it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the blessing. He's so good in it. The blessing of the alphabetical credits. He, he is the first. Mm-hmm. He is the yeah. first build. Um, but, you know, the five that are brought together, you know, where you are trying to figure out how did those five end the up. The ragtag group, right? Yep. yep. Uh, for a heist that we later learn Kevin Pollock's character actually did. Yeah. And then they're sort of brought together and somebody's got an idea for a job. And, and a lot of the elements that we see in a lot of movies, right? A bunch of criminals get in the same room. Hey, you know, I, I got this idea. You know, I know a, a guy. Convention. Let's I know a guy. Yeah. It's born of, and then, and then you know, we get about halfway through, and we realize that they were kind of thrown together on purpose. Hey, it's to, they were by Kobayashi. Yeah, to be put in the same room because they've all, at some point in their life, unknowingly stolen from or did wrong by Kaiser Sose. So they hijacked a truck that was his truck, or whatever the case was. And so here is your group of career criminals. Capable of pulling off potentially what they want to be pulled off, which was the murder of a witness. Right. Right. Under the guise of a drug, drug, yeah. 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 drug, dealer. drug dealer, right? Uh, so lured in for a big payday, but in reality, it was a hit and they couldn't say no to it. Yeah, because of the dirt. Yeah, because basically they would be murdered. And before you do me in, would you like to go say goodbye to your wife or whatever? Is there your, your, uh, your lover? Yeah, it's so good. I opened a rope so good. I hate to interrupt you. This is part of Prairie Artisan Ales out of Krebs, Oklahoma. This is our fourth time, I think, to p- visit them. But since we're doing sours, I picked this up in Houston, too. This is called Patches Treat. Mm. It's a sour ale, and then they shoved a bunch of sour gummy candy in it. Mm. It's a 5.4. This tangy treat brims with massive Sour Patch Kids vibes, a tart blend of lemon, lime, and orange notes. Tantalize your taste buds with electric candy tones. All right, enjoy. Wow. I'm going to tell you right now, Prairie, Yeah. never made a beer I didn't like. They haven't. They, uh, when I went to Oklahoma City, I had to go there. What color is your beer? Wow. Oh, that looks like a I, I pepino Gatorade. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I poured it a little hot, so. 
That beer is green. That is that is yeah. It's yeah. like lime green. Yeah, yeah. That is yeah Gatorade green. Yeah. So it's a, a double sour ale uh-huh. second half. But I'm not sour at all on usual suspect. Oh. <laughs> um, I will say this though, Kevin Spacey, his widow peak looks like Murder Mountain. Yeah, it's a weird it's look. Like, it's like he's, I don't know, do that guys know the Misfits? It's a weird it's look. Like he looks like Doyle from the Misfits. <laughs> I count Chocula. <laughs> it's one of those movies that when you know the ending the second time, you can re-enjoy it the first time knowing what you know this second viewing. And even on the 10th viewing, I noticed this the very first time I watched it, and then I actually Googled this to see if anyone else had. How thick his pee is on the boat when he... Pees onto the yes. onto the gasoline trail <laughs> to stop it. The pee doesn't look like pee. But then Kent says, "I used to be dehydrated when I was a kid, and my pee would come out like snot." Oh, and I never put that together before <laughs> now. But is that what had happened? I Possibly. Don't, I don't know the answer. Soze, by the way, is also Turkish for verbal. Oh, yeah, oh, I learned that okay. in a little research. And uh, the gold cigarette lighter and the gold watch. Yeah. Kaiser Soze is clearly wearing that when he kills yeah, Gabriel the, Byrne. The gold watch oh, thing. I, the watch. Yep, I missed I, that, that one. when I caught. The one thing that I was surprised, and I was like, oh, I don't really have to do a whole lot of research on this one. Because mm-hmm. like I said, this movie has sat with me since 1995. It's an important film. I've seen it a bunch of times. It's one of those movies I never turn off. A lot of what I read really talked about the sound, and it wasn't something I noticed. And I know David really is the score slash sound. Hey, fuck you, man. Just because David's not here... Doesn't mean that we gotta like put him on this big pedestal. No, no. I, but I'm I'm asking you specifically because I know you as well as a you know oh, listener. No, I'm appreci- where this is going. Yes. Yeah. As a listener and appreciate appreciator of soundtracks and scores. Yeah. Did the sound resonate with you at all? Because when I read it, I was actually surprised. Are you talking about sound design or are you talking about the score itself? Both. Okay. Um, I noticed nothing quirky or odd or off about the sound design. And uh, the score, I mean, I think is, is very fitting. It's very 1995. Yeah. But I mean, it's... it's um, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, working from memory here, it's John Ottman. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, mean, I saw it on Spotify. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm not familiar with that. But and I think maybe it is even more of the sound design because they – I read several things about talking about how how the there was a very, very sort of deliberate matching of mood with music. And it just – you know, and I know sometimes a really, really good sound design just fades into the background and impacts you in ways that you don't necessarily realize. Oh, yeah, like horror movies. Yeah. Like you turn the sound off. It's not scary. Yeah, but – yeah. This was one where I was actually kind of surprised. Like it just, I didn't remember. And I've seen it so many times and it's never, it's never been a movie I thought of as being incredibly emotionally uh, aided by the sound. And right. I, I wrote a note to myself to ask yeah, because it wasn't. I can't help you. Right. Somewhere in Good Maine, David, talk. David Gurney is going, <laughs> idiots. Yeah. I, I will say this. And then so, laughing really yeah. loud. Kevin Spacey's voice for the narrative was perfect. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you couldn't have anybody else. Well, you know, like Morgan Freeman's a great narrative. Mm-hmm. You, he couldn't do this movie. Mm. It just wouldn't fit. No. Speaking of Morgan Freeman, uh, Apple TV suggested I watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, great movie. which I haven't <laughs> seen in a very long time. But when it came out in the theater, I saw it five times maybe in the theater. Wow. I remember really liking it. I, I didn't like it so much this time. I can't imagine it, it holds up Kevin well. Costner? It just doesn't, yeah, it kind of hold. it's not, it's kind of cheesy. And that, that Kevin Costner in and out 
English accent. Okay, is yeah, yeah, very yeah, loud. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although Alan Rickman's amazing. Uh, John Ottman, who did the score for this, also did uh, X-Men 2, Superman Returns, Valkyrie, Jack the Giant Killer, and many other films. Okay. I mean, not a slouch. He's been around. Yes, he has. It's so good. It really is. And it holds up. I, I do have a proposal question for you. We like we see these actors in their infancy. Right? Yeah. The, the Benicio so, Del Toro looks 12 years old. Yeah. And then if you look at his acting now compared to then, he's yeah. so much better. Mm. Can you imagine those guys doing it again at their peak level? Would it be as good? Because I don't think it would be. Oh, they had something to prove. Right there, right? Right. I mean, Kevin Spacey, this is his breakout yes, role. That was his he breakout followed role. up quickly with uh, American Beauty, if I'm not mistaken. American Beauty was 99. This is before American Beauty? I'm sorry, this was after American Beauty? No, this is 95. This is before? Yeah. Was it after? Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. American Beauty. Watching it now is troublesome. Oh, God, yeah, it is. When it came out, I was floored. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was, you know, it was on my top ten list of all time for a while. It's still the bag, right? The, yeah, the bag. Is, that, is there anything more beautiful than a shopping bag blowing in the breeze? Yeah, I won't. I almost won't. I almost won't. I won't go back and revisit that one because yeah. that, to me, was such a good movie that I don't want it to you be You don't tainted. want it. And 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 it happens. It's it, it really is. I mean, it's, it's God. We talk about this a lot. Yeah, I, I, I mean, separating the art from the artist is important. I think. I'm not talking about content. I'm not even talking about Kevin Spacey. I'm talking about content. The underage. Oh well, with, uh, Mina Savari. I, I thought. Well, I mean, I think the intersection of Kevin Spacey with the content. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you little, know, a little problematic. Yeah. Oh, little. Yeah. yeah little, uh, like hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But I mean, yeah. At the time. Um, American Beauty and Fight Club came out like relative in relatively short order, and right. I, I remember I remember that was a, a very fun time at the theater. Two Fight very different movies. Oh yeah, I saw Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction on the same day in the movie theater, and then <laughs> Pulp Fiction. I'm sorry, Forrest Gump went on to win the Oscar. And <laughs> <laughs> all right, well we have got two hours to talk about. We've got a lot to talk about in after hours, so I look forward to that. Uh, so the first one we had was Evil Twin Brewings Blueberry French Toast Bagel. Did you taste the bagel? I forgot about the bagel. That's why I'm slowing it down. I'm, I'm thinking hopefully like some beers, you guys know, as they warm up, the flavors come out. Certainly. Certainly. Right? On a sour, yeah, I guess that could be. Never, I don't know about a sour, though, because, you know, definitely yeah. porters and stouts. Man, once it gets to room temperature, it's going to taste really good. Yeah. it's. Uh, we often talk about that on the show. It's warmed up in the 30 minutes or so well, that we talked about the movie and the Beers were first designed not to be refrigerated. I don't think any of us mentioned that this um, from Evil Twin was like a purple almost, like a mm-hmm. like a, a thick, hazy, couldn't see through it. Uh, and this was packed with delicious flavor. This is exactly what I would imagine a blueberry beer would look like, but certainly taste like. Some of the other things, the cinnamon and other adjuncts that they were mm-hmm. talking about, I didn't quite get as much at, but it's blueberry right over your head. Oh, right over. Oh, no, I got, I got the French toast. I got all of that. Okay. I didn't get the bagel. That I didn't get. I that almost seems weird, like some sort of bready taste. But this might be my favorite of six. If you're in a movie episodes, mm-hmm. my favorite that you've ever had that I have ever had here. Yeah, you've struggled though too because some of the styles we pull out aren't your favorite. Yeah, and I mean that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not a. You yeah. know, I'm not a beer person. I'm I also just, know you to be a man that tries different things yes. and new things. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I will. I will always try something, and I will always tell you I don't like it yeah. if I don't. Uh, but that. That's yummy. Yeah, last that piece. is it's so good. I don't know what the words are because there's there's where I don't know the words. That's right, but yummy. Yeah, it's 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 very good. Yeah, I don't know how to describe it. 
yeah. I wish I knew how to describe what umami was, but I think it has it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm not sure you're right about that. I don't know. <laughs> this is uh, sour ales aren't, again, they're not my go to, but Evil Twin will get me to almost anything. Because I, I just like what they do. It's sour, but not overly sour. No, no, yeah. it's it's because I've had some sour beers where it's like you yeah. pucker up. We like, call Whoa. it jaw hinge, like it hits you yeah. right there, and you know. But this does not do that. It's sweeter more than it's, it's sour. More, it's, it's got a sour. It's a element. perfect balance. Yeah, a sweet and sour. It's just right. But they did the blueberry correct here. Yeah, very, very good. okay. So, delicious. so now we're moving to the silly beer. Oh, this is the one. sour ale with yeah. sour gummy candy. So you're expecting a lot of. Of, of sour here, certified colors, which means they're probably artificial colors, and FDC. God, why do they say this out loud? FD and C yellow number <laughs> not five. So you know that it's artificially colored, and that's it my, might be from that's my favorite yellow, which so I'm not a fan. Oh, you like the five? Yes, I like the five. Well, I'm gonna it's go so much superior than yeah. the others. The four and the three. Yeah. So what do you think? I mean, it's I haven't tried it yet. Let's try it. it. It's gimmicky. Sa- I like sours generally speaking. Um, when I go to Tapology. Um, you nailed it. If there isn't anything on the wall that I particularly like, sure. Uh, and there's a sour, I will generally get that. We were there this weekend, and they had a watermelon sour, right? Which was quite good. Yeah. Um, so it is a style that I know is a, at least a safe style that I will like. This is good. Yeah. But it's gimmicky. Yeah. I think you're right with the gimmicky. Yeah. I could definitely taste the sour patch yeah. kids. Yeah. It's sugary. Sugary. This is very sugary. It's more. It, it's more sugar than sour. Yeah. If you figure those gummy patch kids, sour patch kids, they've got uh, that, sh- that that flaky sugar. You can see sugar on them, and it, it, that went right into the beer. Yeah. yeah but this I mean, is not my favorite. That other one is. Yeah. I, I mean, if you gave me that at a party, I would drink it and mm-hmm. it'd be fine. But I wouldn't want another one. Yeah. It's kind of like the the big surge. Yeah. I could only have one. Yeah. We did have that on the show when we did uh, Point Break. Oh, perfect pairing. Which, which one? Oh, I was here for that. that it was, was the Martin House Big Surge Coconut Lactose, but it was very blue. It poured oh, I, very oh, blue. Oh, that was the one all of our mouths were. Yeah, yeah our, our yeah, teeth yeah, and lips teeth, were blue. Yeah. Yeah. It tasted to uh, me like a coconut slushy that melted. Yeah, there were a few lewd smurf jokes made. I was watching you, and I think you had a couple of those. I only had one. Well, those those were popular because that was a uh, well, bloody mace had. He had like five. That's who I'm thinking. Yeah, of right. His <laughs> lips were blue, and we could tell. <laughs> Okay, this is the part where we say the best part of beer in a movie, right, is that uh, the conversation just does not end here. We're going to go all over the place, like Facebook and Instagram. I'm not going to give you those addresses, but you can go to Beer in a Movie Podcast and see our merch store, some carefully curated groups of like direct by the director, different episodes we've done that all focus on Linkladder, for example. And then you can also find us at, like we talked about already, a Discord and Patreon. Patreon.com slash Beard and Movie Podcasts. That sometimes is, well, I'm not even going to complete that sentence. I was about to say, that's sometimes my favorite part. But that's probably because we're two or three beers in at that moment. And then we just, we just start talking. And that's what uh, the After Hours is all about. So catch us there. And I hadn't prepared the idea. Because at the end of every episode, there's a quote from a movie. And I, I fucked up. David, <laughs> David's listening right now saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, the cat's away. Joe's got a mouthful of uh, sour ale. Okay, so I'm just going to make it up on the fly. Uh, so until next time, this podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. <laughs>